0: Part 1 Basics – Evolution What was traditional surgery like in 80s? During early 80s, I was trained in decompressive open surgery for disc herniations and stenosis in symptomatic degenerative lumbar spine. This was pre-MRI but active myelography and CT scan era. We had just started seeing anatomy in cross-sections. Surgery was interlaminar open laminectomy. Main indication was progressive neurological deficit in a few, but did not cover spectrum of chronic significant back and leg pain and claudication in large number of patients as it covers now. There was no dependable surgical solution for discogenic back pain as it was not even recognized it was quite away from answering haunting fundamental question in cases of disc herniation where is pain coming from why it persists what is role for inflammation and what and where are symptom generators and why they progress in stenosis the dominant thinking was guided by kirkladi willis degenerative cascade this cascade does not answer above questions with limited imaging and assessment facilities for stenosis, surgery was deferred till bladder, bowel issues made it a compulsion. In stenosis we used to remove thickened ligamentum flavum in addition to bone. We were unable to appreciate the big picture and precise location of symptom causing changes well. There were doubts about the indications, morbid nature of the surgery and not very acceptable outcomes but it was in an era of there is no alternative to open decompression. Many patients even suffered due to iatrogenic cauda equina syndrome that continues even today. Surgery was based on premise that we need to decompress the canal by removing unyielding posterior wall and midline interlaminar ligamentum flavum that was compressing dural sac containing cauda equina from behind. Ligamentum flavum was thought to be only horizontally interlaminar and it. This was posterior compression-dominant purely mechanistic thinking. There was no consideration to inflammation or arteriovenous involvement as a causative factor. Let us see an example of inadequacy of midline axis without bone removal to visualize what really matters. If we look at interlaminar window, the superlateral part of window is at disc level at L4-5, at L3-4 below and L5-S1 above disc level. The interlaminar approach at L3-4 and L4-5 inherently lands on lateral wall of dural sac and inner facet wall where we are unaware of the lateral upper foraminal and subarticular ligamentum flavin. We are unable to visualize exiting nerve lateral to face it joint. Traversing roots are mostly intrathecal, and only when we go towards infradiscal area at root canal entry, we see the traversing nerve separate in its sleeve. At our landing area at L4 5 sac contains intrathecal traversing root L5 in front and the exiting root L4 in a cranial and lateral direction towards the intervertebral foramen the pedicle of l5 is caudal and lateral forms lateral boundary of lateral recess the root sleeve is fixed to the surrounding canal here in infradiscal area this part of the traversing root in infradiscal area is sensitive it is ventral to facet joint the detailed analysis of the area is wanting the wider laminectomy is only to reach the added targets in lateral recesses, not seen by our posterior midline axis. The targets are not in line of sight. Surgery in lateral stenosis even remotely could not reach symptomatic peripedicular hidden zone of MACNA. So traditional open surgery concepts evolved further into wider decompression to access parapedicular hidden zone but needed stabilization to cover ensuing iatrogenic instability. After its initial use in trauma stabilization was done in degenerative spine, decompression became even more aggressive to tectomy. Even though use of implants in auto-stabilizing degenerative spine is unproven, it was well promoted, supported, and used. This wide decompression of midline and then extension to hidden zone and added stabilization for every disc and in stenosis surgery by default, though popular amongst surgeons, has never been validated and is not popular with patients. The hidden zone also harbors most common causes of failed open surgery. Reaching both exiting and traversing routes adequately and lateral ligamentum flavum where it matters may involve removal of large part of bone, and it is partly done now under name minimal invasive at skin, variations of endoscope-assisted same surgery as in past. But with transforaminal endoscope landing in that zone-hidden zone is no more hidden, and scopy is done without destabilizing bone removal. Concept of deroofing the canal has multiple variations. In literature there are close to 27 descriptions of posterior decompression with incremental removal of posterior wall of the canal. It can be pure fenestration, laminectomy, deroofing of root canal around pedicle, unilateral entry bilateral decompression, minimal invasive laminectomy, and pass decompression. It has more variations on decompression that almost always begets stabilization. What are significant limitations in open surgery? It has not changed with time and technology and patient concerns. In traditional degenerative cascade anteriorly, disc and posteriorly facet changes are staged as dysfunction, instability, and then stabilization. Lateral changes are completely ignored. Changes seen in cadaver and in images define surgical treatment. The degenerative cascade by Kirkaldi-Willis has led to emphasis on decompression and stabilization. kirkaldy Willis later published about matching of symptoms with pathology WRT nerve roots, but was silent on symptom generators initially. The cadaver study first published selectively ignored nerve supply of functional spinal unit, chemical radiculitis, role of inflammation, location of dorsal root ganglion, DRG, in relation to the segment facet asymmetry at that level, changes around DRG, and mechanism of pain namely chemical or mechanical, and all lateral foraminal pathoanatomy. Pain causation was kept in background with emphasis on anatomical variations and later image changes related to these anatomical changes. There is no set time frame in aging patient for the evolution of this complete cascade of changes. Images. As per published literature, the depicting minute anatomical changes are known not to correlate with symptoms and pathology in 30% patients. Thus, all these years our main question where is pain and claudication coming from? Why it persists remained unanswered. We published in vivo visualizes in paper and concept in 2010. The clinical assessment alone is inadequate to address these present issues as we have no objective sign for pain or for differentiating mechanical and chemical radicular pain to monitor progress of sciatica or backache when treated non-operatively. I proposed an objective sign sign, for sciatica detection confirmation and monitoring and published in 2014. Technology like Navigation Robotics is proposed for targeting pathology, but we do not understand the biochemistry of pain and biomechanics causing claudication and symptom-to-pathology correlation. so we may continue to fail as surgeons in precisely targeting and relieving symptom-causing pathology. There are severe limitations in analysis of the patient's clinical inputs or images and they in turn lead to uncertainty about the effectiveness of the surgical plan. This is wrongly complemented by untimely and premature stabilizations which allegedly mimic natural end-stage of stabilization in degenerative cascade. The traditional methodology has become so skewed now that more aggressive decompression is recommended and stabilization is promoted for almost all disc surgeries forgetting that we do not and cannot change natural history. We see multiple examples associated with failed surgery where patient remains symptomatic only with a better-looking image as endpoint of the intervention. Open surgery completely fudges the fact that stenosis or disc herniations originate in soft tissue middle ring and not unchanging bony rings. There is no evidence about only posterior midline compression as cause in central stenosis. The terminology is very confusing about central and lateral canal. The lateral recess is part of bony central canal etc. All the jargon is with specific respect to midline posterior entry that breaks bony rings. Our inability to one-diagnose and locate symptom generators namely both roots, axilla and lateral ligamentum flavum and to inability to reach hidden zone and or 3. Inability to operate all comorbid patients, 4. Surgery resulting in more subsequent instability are main limitations. Limitation 1 in stenosis is inability to appreciate role of changes in walls of the canal that contribute to symptoms. The changes are at disc margins, facet margins, and ligamentum flavum. This is not posterior wall alone but anterior and lateral to dural sac and nerve roots. Instead of understanding pathophysiology better, we mechanistically go for incremental removal of bony posterior wall. Open approach shows a complete lack of focus on location of symptom generators in stenosis. There is added inability to appreciate chronic cauda equina symptoms and signs in stenosis. In disc surgery, this blindness was corrected by concept of pain generator and due emphasis on inflammation as cause and introduction of surgery in a wake-aware patient. Basic degenerative cascade, we have corrected by clinical cascade with arrow of time. Limitation to has persisted even today and will continue is inability to access hidden zone around pedicle where the sensitive traversing route at root canal entry an exiting route, and DRG lies at exit zone. Even if we make proper clinical and imaging diagnosis of symptom-generating areas, we are ineffective as we are unable to visualize and reach in this hidden area WRT nerve root, axilla, DRG, and lateral ligamentum flavum. Limitation 3. Traditional surgery done under general anesthesia, has severe limitation in comorbid patients who may be unfit for anesthesia. Since we have not pinpointed our targets, in stenosis this will continue to affect all solutions. Added is inability to be certain about timing of surgery. Limitation 4. When aggressive we could reach to hidden zone but only with iatrogenic instability. This is a creation of our own inability to think out of box. All this needs change to make it patient-centric, as interlaminar axis may be less relevant. 1. It is not directed to symptom generators. 2. It was devised in an era when present-day thinking and understanding of pathonatomy and pathophysiology was not developed. It was incrementally enlarged to go for wide laminectomy and aided by stabilization in its aggression. 3. Anatomically, we can see that interlaminar window is essentially not in line with disc space or the root canal. It may cover central canal and dural sac and may be closer to entry part of root canal only after medial facet removal. 4. It seems that removal of ligamentum flavum in its medial part is just an indirect decompression as part of the axis rather than done with a specific purpose of directly relieving symptoms as ventral symptom generators were not studied well in past. 5. Getting a visual impression in addition to image by opening lateral wrists and realizing that reaching that part of anatomy by destabilizing bone removal cannot be undone. Stabilization is done to save the functional unit in traditional surgery never proven to be essential 6 canal stenosis is due to changes on walls inside canal and not outside 7 open surgery adds to denervation of muscles permanent stiffness to back post operative adhesions and complications 8 it has been never proven that stabilization in an autostabilizing spine is needed this is a circular logic used to support stabilization and so in turn wide decompression from posterior wall that causes instability needing stabilization. We as endoscopic surgeons have graduated from image-guided decision-making to in vivo visualization of the pathology with better symptom correlation and then shared decision-making. The in vivo endoscopic visualization of an annular tear, chronically healing annulus with collagenization, conjoined nerves, Fulcal nerve branches and anomalous anatomy, such as sympathetic nerves sheds light on why current imaging studies alone cannot fully explain the reasons that some patients with identical imaging studies have debilitating pain and others do not. Intervention under a wake and aware condition can explain where is pain coming from? Better. Learning from large data and repeated analysis of the symptoms with operative correlation has led to change of focus away from images alone to images and symptoms and their relief. From anatomy to physiology, in Gori's system it has further led to an algorithm and matrix and clinical cascade for a precise clinical diagnosis helping a treatment plan. Uncertainty is unmeasurable risk and risk is measurable uncertainty. Older idea of posterior wall alone causing central stenosis that needs laminectomy and all its variations or medial facetectomy alone being enough for lateral recess stenosis need rework in today's world. We now have technology-enabled precision in stenosis diagnosis and surgery to make it non-morbid and applicable in suffering comorbid elderly. In traditional and even evolved stenosis, Surgery decision-making unfortunately is still image-guided towards symptom-causing changes in stenosing canal walls. Many times, in spine surgery patient is afraid about risks and surgeon has uncertainty about outcomes. Pain being subjective impression of the patient, if there is a lack of correlation in symptoms, pathology, and images, analysis in lumbar degenerative spine surgery for treating pain, and prodigation results in uncertain interventions. We need to reduce the risk by procedural improvements and overcome the uncertainty by changing our basic concepts and philosophy. This is possible by an algorithmic approach of endoscopic surgeon and not traditional trial and error methodology of diagnosis and exploratory nature of open surgery. Our algorithm and six-point matrix pinpoints symptom generators making surgery safe precise and surgical corridor sub-centimeter. This is a paradigm change. On left is traditional concepts and on right and middle is gorgeous system of stitchless spine surgery under local anesthesia in awake and aware patient. This has integrated backwards to cover the deficits in clinical assessment by proposing my algorithms, matrix and sign. The gore system has evolved forward from its original one-zone-three-wall concept into two- and three-zone concept. The initial step was in vivo visualisation of pathoanatomy and its correlation with physiology. Then with additional knowledge of lateral ligamentum flavum, failed back surgery and hidden zone of MacNab, we evolved into two-zone adding access to upper foramen three-wall surgery. Now looking at problem of stenosis, we would study anatomy of stenosis from basic, dynamic and changed anatomy in degeneration to propose our three-zone, three-wall concept for stenosis surgery by transforaminal surgery that is stitchless under local anesthesia in a wake-aware patient. We endoscopically under local anesthesia. Do direct decompression of symptom generators in stenosis around fixed parts of the roots laterally and in middle zone central canal at laterally compressing inner facet face and subarticular part of ligamentum flavum by transforaminal route. Our surgery is stitch-less and under local anesthesia. Can be performed in comorbid patients. Short History and Evolution of Transforaminal Disc Surgery Surgery was proposed as transforaminal bicambeen and hijikta around 1976 onwards, initially as axis without scope, later with non-working channel scope under GA. In 1991, Kuslić first described open posterior midline surgery for lumbar disc herniation under progressive local anesthesia adding to our understanding of tissue origin of low back pain and sciatica and concepts of pain generators, pain patterns by answering the fundamental question, where is THE pain coming from? Thus, in turn identifying the physiological target and making evolution of transforaminal axis surgery possible under local anesthesia as significant pain was not seen in paraspinal structures. In 1995, foraminal anatomy and its relation to size of working surgical cannulas that the foramen can accept was studied by Markowitz and David Swartz finding maximum size of cannulas which we can safely put in foramen for safe endoscopic surgery. This further stimulated and facilitated transforaminal access. In the same period, Siebert endoscopic laser disc surgery the foramenal approach, Liu percutaneous foramenoscopy, and Casper Foraminal Laser Endoscopic Disc Ablation published their work. Martin Knight, however, was first to use laser for foraminal decompression for lateral and subarticular stenosis and root mobilization in failed back surgery. Yeung proposed inside-out disc surgery and additionally working outside the disc through a working channel endoscope. The axis evolved further as a direct epidural axis by undercutting the facet by outside in axis per Hoogland. This has been popularized by Hoogland's thesis technique. Some variation in trajectory, and angle of axis also has been proposed by Hoogland, Ruetin and Choi et al. when targeting inferior and superior migrated fragments to bring fragment in line of sight. Gauri's system instead uses hook etc. for mobilizing migrated fragments and bring them in field of surgery without following line-of-sight axis, but standard inside-out intradiscal landing. Since the outside-in procedure is dependent on serial dilation to retract nerves, it usually involves blind fluoroscopically guided foraminoplasty with trifines and remers as well as disectomy. This approach ignores anomalous anatomies such as fercal nerves, sympathetic nerves, epidural vessels, and other anomalous nerves documented and described by Yeung and Gore. Complications and adverse risks of dysesthesia is anticipated to be higher. Ruetin has described interlabinar axis with the same instruments, mainly for L5-S1 axis through the large interlabinar window. Usman and Choi have described transiliac axis in cadaver study. Usman and Punjabi have described transforaminal decompression and compared it with interlaminar for central canal stenosis and highlighted challenges then, 1997, faced in transforaminal endoscopy namely space in foramen and safety, instrument development, power instruments. My journey towards spine endoscopy As an alternative or pariahe, started in 1997 full 14 years after I started my traditional independent orthopedic spine practice in 1983. I was instrumental in introducing transforaminal endoscopy of the spine in India after training with Dr. Yeung in 1999. Dr. Yeung and I published Evolving Methodology of Endoscopy in 2001. In vivo visualization of pathoanatomy in 2010 and Technique Details and Literature Review on Inside Out Technique in 2014, in addition to relevant other publications. I am practicing transforaminal endoscopy under local anesthesia in awake and aware patients for more than 20 years. I have introduced GORIS system registered trademark symbol for transferaminal endoscopy in lumbar spine. I have also published my symptom matrix and new sign for sciatica diagnosis and confirmation in the literature. Rethink needed in stenosis was published recently highlighting needed attention on lateral ligamentum flavin. I feel time has come to give an undivided attention and share my refined solution to the problem of spinal canal stenosis that causes claudication. Overcoming limitations of traditional open surgery There are various attempts to overcome limitations along the way beginning 1980s. This was foraminal natural orifice axis, and endoscopy for degenerative lumbar spine by Dr. Kambin. With transforaminal axis we are able to cover symptom generators, even in hidden zone, and make stabilization almost redundant in majority of stenotic spines. But please note, right from 90s lateral ligamentum flavum, is still unrecognized for its contribution to stenosis. We had a 1991 introduction of concept of pain generators, 1995 anatomical study on posterior axis to foramen highlighting its morphometry and instrument sizes. Kusliet's study on pain generators, during open surgery, Under Local Anesthesia 1991 and study by Markovic 1995 about foraminal anatomy forms basis of transforaminal axis primarily in disc surgery and now in stenosis. Planning and performing surgery for stenosis requires additionally a three-dimensional understanding of the dural sac and spinal roots and its surrounding structures. Further evolution from transforaminal endoscopy to foraminoplasty to channelplasty. Further evolution in 90s in concepts started with Dr. Hoogland's outside in axis and Dr. Knight's concept of foraminoplasty, both highlighting working on ventral facet, it, its role in foraminal narrowing and foraminal decompression for better transforaminal axis and mobilization of exiting root. My approach to stenosis is beyond foraminoplasty by channelplasty for lateral canal, And rises and central canal stenosis. Stenosis is naturally progressive change, an inevitable part of aging, symptomatic for a large segment of population. With changing economic scene, expectations at senior age have changed, and patients are in search of a better solution that satisfies their aspirations and ambitions and gives value for money. Decision making on not only type of intervention but its timing is also a significant issue in a patient who may have medical comorbidity and long-standing complaints of claudication and cauda equina. In 2001, Dr. Yeung and I published Evolving Methodology with emphasis on skin markings, trajectory to the foramen for precise access to the pathology, visualization of the basic pathology of annular tears which caused the pain of discogenic origin. In 2002-2004, Yeung and Zhu described the Viasis transforaminal endoscopy technique to treat all forms of disc herniation by the transforaminal approach. Yeung has published extensively on transforaminal disc surgery. Over last two decades, transforaminal endoscopy for disc herniation as access and treatment methodology has become popular world over. Precision in diagnosis based on our analysis has led to precision in targeting and making surgery least invasive, stitchless and under local anesthesia, and in a wake-aware state patient. This also makes it possible to do surgery even in patients with medical comorbidity. Let me narrate how background basics of my system evolved. Traditional symptom analysis in degenerating lumbar spine is mainly to identify patients needing surgery not to diagnose the symptom of pain or claudication. Based on such thinking, treatment plans are a combination of decompression and fusion without much consideration to pain and claudication and relevant pathophysiology. They are guided by anatomical changes seen in images. Symptom matching to pathology and its relief is many times lacking. There is overemphasis on posterior midline axis and use of hardware that has no evidence in support for use in an auto-stabilizing degenerating lumbar spine. I proposed a new surgical philosophy of stitchless surgery under local anesthesia trademark in AWAKE and AWARE patient. It is a targeted for precisely identified sub-centimeter symptom generator through the natural orifice intervertebral foramen. This philosophy breaks away from the past. It does not involve posterior midline axis, general anesthesia, blood transfusions, use of hardware, cutting of bone, and use of implants in most cases except instability. This is done by using a diagnostic Gauri matrix, including Gauri sign for sciatica, and Gauri system. Recently I introduced new Sneha DRG-DROF set for lumbar canal stenosis that is extended part of Gore system instruments. Registered trademark Symbol Carl Stores for Upper Zone Stenosis, thus making endoscopy applicable for two zones. Image showing entry site for stitchless surgery under local anesthesia on left side. Note midline structures are untouched and intact. 1. Symptom analysis leading to stitchless spine surgery through foramen 1 zone. Traditional image or anatomy-guided approach, totally ignoring physiology, has led to many failures and complications and dissatisfaction in mind of patients, fear leading to delay in surgery, overuse of hardware. The art and science of diagnosis in symptomatic spine degeneration is sadly skewed. We have ignored chemical radiculitis, use of discography in chemically sensitized discs, paradox in symptom image matching and only concentrated on mechanistic analysis, which to say least is inadequate. Our Gauris system philosophy is to precisely diagnose pain or claudication generator, its location, and then target it in a safe precise way under local anesthesia. It is treated not only by decompression but by ablation, irrigation, mobilization and more. In era of evidence-based surgery and medicine there is no evidence to support mandatory posterior midline axis and use of stabilization and it is only legacy and needs to be changed. Patient's main concern is symptoms and we need to make best attempt to resolve the concern it is more prudent to direct all our energies to symptom analysis and planning of access to symptom-generating and persisting pathology. Our insight from surgery under local anesthesia and in vivo visualization of symptomatic pathology has led us to concept of symptom, pain, generator. Pain generator is a changed interface between degenerated and failed structure, egg, annular tear in a disc, and its neurovascular supply. The interplay between failed structure and neurovascular supply decides symptoms in degenerative spine. In stenosis, this makes it easy to localize the symptom generators to location of immobile part of the roots in lateral canal stenosis and inner face of facet cover in central stenosis.